definitely going the distance because this is episode 250 for September 2013. 250 episodes. That is absolutely crazy, and I appreciate everybody that's been listening all these years. This episode of the Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast is sponsored by SpiderNerd.com. They're a new Spider-Man website that's worth taking a look at, and they provide reviews of the latest issues of the Superior Spider-Man, and they review them the day that they're released in the store. And they also review older issues back when Spidey was actually amazing. And you'll find reviews of Spidey and various other media like the cartoon and movies, along with the latest Spider News headlines on their front page. And they, too, have a podcast, and they already have two episodes out ready for you to download them. So check them out and give them a listen at SpiderNerd.com. Now, before we start this episode, I want to publicly thank JR and Josh for the episode you're about to listen to. I am very proud that this is the 250th episode, because these two drop more spider history and knowledge in this show than I've ever heard in their segments before. This is just amazing, so give it a listen. And I just think they're invaluable as far as spider historians go, and this episode really proves it. So let's get on with the show, gang. All right, let's tackle this month in Spider History with JR, a fan favorite segment of the Spider-Man Crawl Space, as witnessed on the iTunes reviews. JR, they love you. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, once again, I'd like to thank my mom for posting under several different names. Uh. <laughs> JR and I are hopping in the DeLorean, and we're headed back to September of 1993, where comic books cost a buck and a quarter. On the cover price. Yes, Siri, a buck and a quarter. I was trying to kill uh, up the great Scott because you said what, back in time, but Siri uh, instead. Strangely enough, in September 1993, two issues of Amazing Spider-Man came out. Number 381. <laughs> and three, No, it didn't. It did they? I thought it was... I thought two came out this month. I was mistaken, Jr. 381. Take me there. What, what happened? Well, I was about to say, actually, you probably should handle this one, because th- you would you would think that after looking at the cover that uh, this would have given you a geekgasm, in addition to, as in addition to Spider-Man, it also prominently features your second favorite superhero, the, the Incredible Hulk. I know. Hulk is smashing around the cover. It says, hey, Spidey, the Incredible Hulk is in town, and he's going to squash you like a bug. Where? Take my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, stop talking and take my money. Uh, yes. Well, this I tell you, this, this is an interesting month because all of the stories here are part one of multi-parters. And they're the, re- the reason they're all part ones is because the previous three months <laughs> had been one entire infamous story. Uh, which just concluded, and the, that, of course, was maximum garbage. Um, <laughs> so everything here is going to be part one of something. But anyway, this is this is just a two part. This is a simple old two part tale. Starts off with uh, Doc Sampson, uh, another one of these irradiated guys. Except you know he did his skin didn't turn green, his hair turned green. Green, uh, you know, green hair on top, green eyebrows, and well, green hair probably just about any other place you can imagine. Uh, Ooh, he goes. I've to, never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have now. Now get that out of your head. Oh, um, man. Anyway, so he shows up where, at this point in time, the Hulk is, I believe, the Hulk is the Hulk, but he has Bruce Banner's brain. Um, 
And yeah. he comes, he go, he shows up at the airport. Uh, Samson does to talk to the Hulk and says, "Hey, Bruce, there's this uh, demonstration about a gamma virus uh, that's going on. You want to attend?" And the Hulk says, "No, that's a little, that's a stupid idea. Don't you know what happens to gamma rays? You know when they, you know you." Dumbass, gee whiz! Anyway, so he refuses to go. But then the scene switches to uh, Peter and Mary Jane, where Peter says, "Hey, Mary Jane, I just scored a free pass to that uh, uh, gamma virus demonstration, and uh, let's celebrate by having sex on the kitchen floor," which is what they do. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not lying. <laughs> it's what they do. And in future issues, this is where Michelle Gonzalez will be, right? <laughs> that's that's where Peter get. That's where the chameleon gets the idea. It's like, oh man, yeah. what am I going to do? Oh hey, I issue number three eighty one. I know how to handle this now. And, I heard this is sp- spider history. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we we have the continuing subplot of the return in Richard Mary Parker in the second year of the inexorable. Are they or aren't they Peter Parker's real parents? Of course, we don't know yet, and more than likely, neither did editor Danny Fingeroth or writer David Michelini, because, surprise, surprise, this was a subplot concocted at Marvel without a resolution in mind. So anyway, the... um, the Parker the, the the Parkers make a reference to Aunt May's uh, wedding anniversary, and the old bat drops a glass and breaks it. You know, so oh, that's a clue that something's wrong. That the you know they can't be real who they say they are. But of course, and then May later in the issue, May is trying to look up the number of a private detective. So ooh, can't wait to to find out where this leads. Anyway, Peter arrives at the demonstration, and the science. The demonstration state that they are going to inject the gamma radiation virus into a diagnosed schizophrenic's brain in order to, quote, release the repressed hatred and anger that he can't consciously admit to himself, unquote. All right, nothing is going to go wrong here. <laughs> once you hear that, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, once yeah. that you know nothing is going to go wrong. So, but guess what? So they fire off this this thing, but instead of going into the schizo's brain, the virus takes on a life of its own and is absorbed by Doc Samson, who releases all his pinup hostility and turns into a raging lunatic. Samson goes looking for the Hulk to pick a fight with. Spider-Man follows, but during the epic battle, the virus leaves Samson and enters the Hulk. So the next issue reads... Spidey and Doc Samson versus Ultra Hulk. Ultra Hulk. Ultra Hulk. Not- sounds like sounds more like a stepped up laundry detergent than a crazy superhero. <laughs> Ultra Hulk. Get get that stain out with Ultra Hulk. Yeah. And basically, the entire second part of the story is Spider-Man trying to fight and distract the Ultra Hulk while Samson goes around looking for a cure. Samson can't find a cure. The issue ends with the Ultra Hulk about to kill Samson, but Spidey essentially says, gee, Dr. Banner, don't you know killing is wrong? And the virus leaves the Hulk's body. The end. You've read this, haven't you, Brad? I mean, come on, this is the Hulk. Well, Spider-Man, you know all these stories. Honestly, I haven't read this since September of '93, and I just graduated high school. <laughs> I got this issue. I got, I got this issue to prepare for Spider History, but I didn't get part two, so I was actually wondering how it ended up. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's how it ends. It is. This, is. this is an extremely pedestrian story. It really is. But then yeah. again, it was the '90s. He's recovering out over his massive uh, maximum carnage arc. He had to write. He had to write part seven, part twelve, part fourteen. <laughs> Uh, it was 
wasn't Michelini's best, I'm guessing. In part, like, 12.1 and about oh, God. 16 point now. Mark Bagley's art so is pretty. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, like, yeah, then again, so so are most contestants in the Miss America or Miss USA pageant. And uh, got, you, know, you know what happens whenever they're asked a question, though. Spectacular Spider-Man number 204 came out this month, written by Stephen Grant, art by Sal Buscema. The the tombstone is uh, leaping at Spider-Man on a wall with with the caption, he's back and he's more more lethal than ever. Death by Tombstone, part one. Uh, What happens here? Well, let's see. Uh, At least it doesn't involve scissors and Vaseline. So we're grateful for that. And we're off. (laughs) And, uh, of course, you know, Tombstone, you know, Bertoni could probably do a bio on him because Bertoni now believes that uh, Slot has thoroughly emasculated Tombstone. So, but, you know, maybe maybe he'll deal with that in another podcast. Um, Anyway, it was you, wasn't it, Bertoni, or was it Chris? Yeah, yeah, I had the problem that, like, Tombstone was defeated off path. Yeah. And I missed a recent Tombstone appearance. He was in the recently canceled Gambit book, and I didn't pick that up, and that was his most recent appearance, but who knows. Poor guys are subjected to Gambit books now. <laughs> recently well, canceled Gambit. The story begins with Tombstone initiating a corporate takeover of Hammerhead's gang, which gets a little messy. you know. So. Does he bring his did five-year-old he, to the corporate takeover? I was just going to say, did he bring his kid to the office? <laughs> I was about to say then probably to, wouldn't Tombstone's kid look like what was what was that mutant X Man who was all white um, named after a, a Shakespearean character? Um, oh, no. He lived at Darwin. 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 Darwin's a scientist, not a Shakespearean character. No, 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 no. <laughs> There's a quote. Uh, <laughs> you just got horn effect. This was. <laughs> Caliban, that's who it was. Caliban, that's who it was. Oh, Caliban. Oh, he was with the Morlocks, lived down the sewer, yeah. I hate the Morlocks so much. Yeah, they don't like you either, Kevin. <laughs> I wonder if the Goblin's going to go down there and hang out with the Morlocks. That'd be a That'd be a, a Gormok. Okay, anyway, JR, go ahead. Well, if he hangs out with the Morlocks, then I would imagine Rod Taylor would come down probably with a... Uh, and, uh, Okay, I've just used an obscure reference that nobody gets. Anyway. So old. <laughs> Donovan, that's so old. <laughs> Are you referencing the time machine? Yes, yes, there we go. Okay, okay. God, I'm so old. <laughs> God. Oh, no. Well, you guys probably think the Guy Pierce version is high art then, don't you? Oh, boy. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That, that movie blows. <laughs> okay, just, him just Donovan yelling, you're so old, is awesome. Go ahead, JR. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, of course, then again, it's like, you know, I mean, that was pretty redundant. I mean, I fell asleep during the podcast, you know? I mean, so it's like, you know, yeah, what what other evidence do people need that I'm old? Anyway, we moved to a lawyer's office for the reading of Harry Osborne's will, because as you know, in issue 200, Harry died. No, 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 really, he died. Seriously, he died. You know? Okay. So anyway, Liz, Normie, Peter, Mary Jane, Flash, Felicia, they're all sitting there, you know, 
waiting to read. Harry leaves a video, you know, to be played where he puts his green goblin mask on, and he leaves uh, after saying a couple of nice things about everybody else, and he, you know, he puts his goblin mask on, and he leaves Peter Parker his uh, mother's jewelry box and says, you know, uh, don't wait, don't open it until at the right time uh, because there's a big surprise inside. Well. When everybody's not looking, Peter leaps out the window, becomes Spider-Man, uh, goes to a remote location, rips apart the box, and it just has a note that says "Gotcha." So, you know, of course, that, one thing <laughs> that Harry's alive. There you go. That's well, that exactly ridiculous. Boy, uh, Donovan really did go out and buy these issues, didn't he? Anyway, so, <laughs> so Harry, so, so. Spider-Man thinks Harry's alive. So, what does Spider-Man do? You know, after <laughs> he immediately runs to Liz's house, to his to Harry's uh, Harry's widow's house, and says, "Oh, Liz, I think Harry's alive." <laughs> She's still like wearing black. Just oh, got no. back from the will reading. She's just signing the documents to buy a chemical company. Uh, so she's uh, so anyway. So he's doing this, and then Mary Jane bursts in and just pretty well <laughs> basically says, "Are you out of your blanking mind? Get out of here!" Uh, which is funny because in issue number in Superior Spider-Man number seventeen, folks, if you would turn into the uh, where Liz appears, yeah, and. Uh, Liz's henchman Banks says, "Miss Allen, get back in the car. That man's a vigilante, a menace." And Liz goes, "At ease, Mister Banks. I know Spidey. He's a friend. He saves the he's saved the lives of me and my son more times than I can count." <laughs> okay. <laughs> and also, by the way, he showed up after I thought I had buried my husband, shook me, and said my husband was still alive. <laughs> so. Turns out my husband was alive, but neither of us knew that. We were both so red in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Parker Parker Luck. (laughs) Oh, boy. So, anyway. Um, And then Spider-Man calms down and says to himself, Oh, he got me good. I saw him buried. I read the coroner's report. Harry Osborn can't be alive. I guess that sells that. Okay. Anyway. Tombstone now makes his play. He shows up to the Council of Bosses, you know, and he says, by the way, since I kicked, Hammerhead, kicked Hammerhead's ass, I get Hammerhead's seat. And he said, and the bosses say, oh, no, you don't. Um, so then the uh, then they start shooting and firing at him, and Tombstone blows up a gas, uh, grabs a hold of a gas main, blows the place apart. Uh, Spider-Man sees the, the building go down, uh, rushes to the rescue, Tombstone tries to get away in an ambulance, uh, you know, beats up the uh, ambulance, uh, the EMTs, and then he hears a voice that says, let them go. And then we see the last panel, it says, the name's Flash Thompson, and you'll have to go through me first. Yeah, go Flash. And Tombstone, Tombstone is, of course, as intimidated as you would expect him to be. <laughs> to be continued. Man, yeah, and then the black suit gets on Flash, and oh. yeah. if you're interested in how that how that fight would end up, look at the covers of the next issue. 
Yeah. Oh, let me look. I forget what the cover looks like. Oh, poor Flash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Flash's tombstone. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, later, what happens is, you know, Flash gets beat up pretty badly. Uh, Liz, uh, being, you know, since she and Spider-Man are such pals, Liz sells the apartment building that Mary and Peter, Jane, uh, Mary Jane and Peter are living in, and says, "Oh, by the way, you got 30 days to get your asses out of here." Uh, <laughs> Damn. Because I'm moving to Montana with Normie, and I'm never coming back. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, the pack of the Spider-Man dolls, so you can rip them off. And the <laughs> I'm out. The Council of Bosses tells Tombstone they'll give him Hammerhead seat if he kills Spider-Man. Tombstone goes to do that, thinks he's succeeded. The bosses still won't give him the seat. You know, big fight. Spider-Man comes in to kicks Tombstone's ass. The end. You know, Tombstone had a good run in spec, and I think this is towards the end of that good run. You know, I enjoyed the introduction of him with uh, Robbie, etc. Wasn't that around issue 140-ish? Yeah, 150. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. Conway's, when Conway was doing it, wasn't he? Yeah. Part, yeah, part, and I, I don't... Well, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, part three of the story, I thought it ended with a really pretty solid fight between him and Spider-Man, where like uh, they both kind of really wore each other out at the end. Yeah, I I like Tombstone. I just you know I, I like him too. Well, I'm trying I'm ca- trying to keep this brief. So how, 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 did, the fight how did the fight end on? Yeah, uh, like uh, uh, I'm gonna keep this brief as well. What, what was Spider-Man's condition? Well, like, he had he webbed his fist and like kind of like hit Tombstone with everything he had and like and Tombstone knocked him out. Or, did it take a lot of out. Did it take a lot of effort? Yeah, it took everything that Peter can muster to knock him out. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like an off-panel thing where we just saw him webbed up on a lamppost in a montage. I see what you did there. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, also, Jr. Web of Spider-Man 104 came out. Oh, an Infinity Crusade crossover. Oh, my God. Harry <laughs> <laughs> Cavanaugh. Oh, God. Uh, I love me some Alex Savick. This one's called Crisis of Conscious. Also, there's a, another story in this one, too. Oh, yes, there is. Oh, God, this ought to be great. Oh, well, no, actually, yes and no, because there just is not much to say because this is so bad. First of all, as you mentioned, this was a tie-in to one of the, another one of those damn worthless company-wide crossovers. And to be honest, I'm not sure what the objective of the story was. Basically, it starts out, Spider-Man beats up, is beating up a punk, gang of, gang of, a gang of punks when some gold girl with a cape, who reminds me of a female Adam Warlock, appears offering to relieve his anguish, and then other mumbo-jumbo. Then she has spirited not only Spider-Man, but several other Marvel heroes to Paradise Omega on the far side of the sun. She casually throws around terms like group soul, cosmic egg, and supreme will. The (laughs) The heroes are totally enthralled to her, saying in unison, we will gladly lay down our lives for you, our goddess. And this is the truth, okay, because I, I was in D.C. earlier this week at a, at a, at a school, and I'm yeah. sitting here in the Fuddruckers, you know, because they got great hamburgers, and I'm going through these because this is why I said, Brad, would you please give me the spider title, uh, spider history choices so I can, you know, take them with me. So I'm sitting here, and I'm writing notes, as I, and I'm, and I'm, re- I'm reading this, and I'm going, my God, this is awful. Who wrote yeah. this? And, and I flipped, and it was Terry Cavan. I'm not joking. It was Terry Cavan. I was like, oh, God. All right. Later we, <laughs> later we see Spider-Man fighting all of these demons of his soul that have taken the form of his friends and enemies. Of course. Uh, 
And throughout the story, it looks like a band of heroes is fighting another band of heroes. But to be honest, I really don't know what's going on through this story. I really didn't. This, it's, it literally is virtually unreadable. Let, and let me, let me show you how, um, I mean, I'm just going to read one page here, the lead-off to, to issue 105. The Infinity Crusade has begun. On both sides of Earth's sun, heroes draw sides against heroes, preparing to tear reality asunder in the name of universal peace. But as the enigmatic goddess retreats into her omnipotent soul egg to seek final rapture, <laughs> one loyal crusader struggles desperately to reach her at the heart of Paradise Omega. Hoping for answers to unvoiced questions, Spider-Man is rewarded for his heroic efforts with an unexpected sojourn inward to the troubled soulscape of Peter Parker. <laughs> uh. I, that is all you need to know about how bad this was. The the dialogue is atrocious, and like I said, I didn't, I did not understand what the objectives of the story were, and I didn't spend a whole lot of time trying to find out. Okay, going back to where Brad said that you also got another story. Okay, issue one hundred four. I go through and I say, boy, that ended kind of quickly. That you know, and I counted there was only sixteen pages of this story. You know why? Because we got a six-page backup featuring Marvel's Spawn ripoff, Nightwatch. Okay, as he goes up against a villain called Death Grin. What? <laughs> so, so not only in web in these three parts of Web of Spider-Man. Do you get a shit story? <laughs> you also are paying for an advertisement for another character Marvel was trying to launch. This time, the a, a blatant ripoff of another character <laughs> who didn't even whose comic did not even who didn't even succeed. I might add, and to make it even worse, the third part of this story, issue number one hundred six. Okay. Oh, wow. They stretched that for three? Oh, they stretched it for three, and and that's not oh. the best part of it, okay? Because remember, issue now issue 107 is an entirely different Spider-Man story, okay? So issue 106 is the last part of this particular story, okay? Wow. Anyway, it looks like uh, Jean Grey, the Thing, and Spider-Man are going at each other. And then, on the last page of the story, the narrative goes, before even Spider-Man can admit to himself whether he leapt into the line of fire to protect the goddess's creed or his own, the unforgiving sun above goes Nova, and final rapture silently purges the universe. Check out Infinity Crusade number six to see the exciting conclusion to the greatest cosmic saga ever. Then, <laughs> then join us back here next issue as we debut a major new villain for Spidey, Sandstorm. Guest starring Sandman and Quicksand. It's going to be great. I, th I thought you were going to say it's going to be Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> So not only <laughs> wow you got Good you, God. you got and you, you remember you remember when when you when we did Stalker from the Stars and we were yeah. reveling in its awfulness and you and you said Jr is this the worst Spider-Man story ever and I said no well no <laughs> this 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 truly is one I mean it wasn't even worth me going through and making fun of it it was that bad. <laughs> 
I just, it, I cannot be- new, believe. Is this your number one, you think? I'm sorry? Of all the, is this your number one of all the spider histories of the worst story ever? I was going to say, of the spider histories we've done, this yeah. probably is the worst. Wow. It was unre- I mean, it was. It, it was unreadable. I mean, it's, you know, you introduce a cosmic character, which, you know, like I said, Spider-Man has never, I don't think, works well in cosmic situations. And you have her just, you put all kinds of this mystic mumbo-jumbo in her mind, talking, or him, her mouth, talking in riddles. And you have some kind of plot going on. You have absolutely no idea what's going on because you haven't picked up the other parts of, you know, this. And then, as you get to the end, you're told you have to pick up another comic to go get mm-hmm. the end of it. it it's yeah. Marvel should have been ashamed of itself. <laughs> it was the 90s. You know, um, Crusade was horrible, and it, it was a part of a trilogy. The Infinity Gauntlet, the Infinity War, and then the Infinity Crusade. By the time they got the Crusade, they were just asking for money. I mean, that was such <laughs> a cash... They were asking to be put into bankruptcy is what they were doing. Oh, man, it was leading up to it, because I agree, JR. When I read this back in 93, I was like, my God, this is... Has a- Terry Kavanaugh done anything that wasn't uh, bad? I assume he has, because you know, he's lived a life. But uh, He may have a story here and there, but I, I can't think of one. Can you guys? Well, and, and, you know, and I, I, again, we don't want to single somebody out, although I guess right. since he thought of the clone saga, he deserves to be singled out. Uh, <laughs> but there were... There were, yeah, we were. We we weren't we earlier speculating what Zach was doing right at this moment. Um, but no, I mean, there aren't there a lot of guys who are people who are writing in this era who are no longer writing in comics. I mean, a lot of them were bad. Other than that, they're yeah. DC. <laughs> oh, now you know it's ironic. The next issue that we're going to tackle is uh, Spider-Man: The Adjective List, Spider-Man number thirty-eight, written by one of my favorites, J.M.D. Mateus and Klaus Jansen. We were just talking about him doing pencils, and I remember what his pencils look like, and I'm not a fan. This one's called The Light, the Night, Part 1 of 3 with Electro. Oh, man. Okay. This is, an- this is another one of J.M.D. Mateus's uh, limp-wristed, bleeding-heart liberal stories. Uh, <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> and he's off again. Uh, all right. <laughs> Do this. I mean, okay, okay. anyway, the, sto- <laughs> the story begins with Max Dillon, Better known as Electro, duh. Jamie, Jamie Fox being electrocuted in the electric chair. Ah, Does, that's a dumb idea. Did New York have the death penalty this time? No, it's a carnival where Electro is earning, <laughs> uh, where Electro is earning a few bucks as the amazing Electro, the electrical man. Wow. Uh, he's trying to earn a few bucks going straight, but uh, this humiliation he's enduring. Uh, as he's being forced to make a living, is is starting to eat him alive. But I've actually there's actually a neat little story though at the very end that I'll tell you about. Where I don't know if Demetrius took it from this or not, but it actually it, it is kind of interesting. But anyway, so anyway, so you know, Electro's out of jail trying to go straight, but he's forced to do a lot of humility and things, you know, just to keep himself fed. And so now he's uh, you know and now he's uh, you know he's feeling sorry for himself and everything like that. Well. This doesn't make any sense to me. If you had Electro's powers, why would you be like a circus freak? Why wouldn't you like, I don't know, charge people to power their buildings or something? Um, I don't know. Probably the probably probably the same uh, logic that involves if you are able to invent some kind of super polymer um, and uh, <laughs> uh, 
you know, you did you didn't patent you know try to make it permanent and patent it for all kinds of uh, industrial uses. You just decided to you know shoot it to swing around buildings and web up bad guys. I guess kind of that logic. Fair enough. More on logic. <laughs> um, but anyway. Spider-Man interrupts a robbery in a hotel by a petty thug who gets away because Spider-Man gets distracted. Anyway, the petty thug shows up at a uh, crying on the bartender's shoulder about how he's such a failure in life, such an, and that he's such a nobody. Spider-Man has collared him six times, but still doesn't recognize him. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, here's why you're a loser, you dumbass, because you keep getting collared. Period. You know. <laughs> Yep. You know, gee whiz, uh, you know, go flip some burgers or something. At least that's better. Well, anyway, but then Matt, uh, Electro walks into a bar, and he starts crying on the bartender's shoulder about how he's a nobody. And, you know, he could have been somebody, and nobody notices him, and now he's going to do something to make people notice him. Okay, now you're starting to see a pattern here. All right. Well, we go back to the da- we go to the Daily Bugle. There's an oh, there's a daughter of one of Jonah's old uh, college chums, who's a big PR person, and they're all taught. You know, she's going to do this big PR thing on this new building that's being renovated in New York, and the Daily Bugle is going to get the expensive or whatever, or the exclusive. Anyway, Peter's going to do all the pictures, and Jonah, you know, starts talking himself up real big, and he makes Peter feel real small. You know, and, and, and Spider-Man's Peter is saying, why does Jonah, why every time, why is it when Jonah talks sometimes he makes me feel like I'm just a, a 16-year-old kid again? He, he goes off swinging, I'm not a nerd, I'm, I'm not a nerd, you know, I'm somebody. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, God, you know. And then Aunt May calls him and says she's worried about him because he didn't answer his phone last night and says a fragile boy like you should be shouldn't be gallivating around. And Peter flips out and says, I'm not a fragile boy! <laughs> Which is the one good thing he said here, Lisa. Right. <laughs> but anyway, but, but all this is, okay, basically, in this last three parts, basically everybody is feeling like a nobody, and so they're all going to do something to be a somebody. Okay? Electro is going to go up. And on top of this building, and he's going to absorb all the power in New York City because he's going to try to make people notice him. All right? Jonah is talking big around this daughter of an old college friend because the college friend was a big shot, you know, who died, and he always felt inferior to him. So Jonah's talking himself up because he feels like a nobody, and he wants to feel big. Okay? And then the petty thug is trying to pull another robbery because he feels like a nobody and wants to feel big. Oh, boy. Okay. This all comes together as uh, Electro creates a blackout, everybody panics, the uh, the PR lady falls and is about to be trampled to death when the petty thug saves her, you know, and she starts making moon eyes at him, and he starts feeling worthwhile. And then Spider-Man saves Electro, and Spider-Man feels like he's done something worthwhile, and Electro hugs him. they're now best buds I'm not Hmm. exaggerating that much and then and the last panel is the petty thug sitting together with the girl and she says isn't it good that Jonah's offered you a job and he says let's see here what he says oh boy you know and they they stare into each other's eyes 
And he says, okay, the, yeah, this is after Electro hugs Spider-Man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't believe after all these years I finally found someone who understands me, who really cares. Oh, geez, I think I'm going to cry. And Sp- Really? Wow. Spider-Man says, you mean I don't have to punch you in the jaw and drag you off to jail? And Electro says, after what I've just been through, jail sounds great, pal. Now, that really gave me the creeps. I mean, (laughs) if you recall, in Marvel Knights number two, Electro said to Vulture that after he spent some time in jail, he discovered a side of himself he hadn't really uh, realized before. Oh, no. (laughs) I don't remember that. So this is out of the continuity, clearly. Wow. That's a rough one, and J.D. Mateus is usually awesome. Uh, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Here, here we go. Here's the. I'm sorry. Here's the final. The between the petty thug and the girl. You know, he says, "I've been out of work for a while. Think it's time to get back into the real world." But I don't get it. Why would a man like Jameson want to help me? I mean, I'm just a little guy, a nothing. And then the girl says, "Charles H. Buchanan, which is his name. As far as I'm concerned, you're the biggest man in town." The end. In the pants. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. All right. Charles right. H. Uh, Cannon, what a name. <laughs> man, Jr. that was that one sounded awful. <laughs> it sounded absolutely awful. Uh, we've got uh, one. What? You sure you want to continue? <laughs> uh, we're about to hit what lethal foes. I remember that being a turd fest. Uh, Jr. has this awful habit of choosing shitty stories. <laughs> De- Deadly Reunion is a miniseries, four-issue miniseries, written by Danny Fingeroth and Scott McDaniel, who... Uh, gave Daredevil that uh, re that '90s costume. Didn't he go on to do Batman also? Uh, Nightwing and Batman and Robin. There you go. Hit me, Jr. Uh, this is, is it bad? Is it as bad as I remember it? This it, it's not as offensively bad as uh, yeah. the Infinity Crusade crossover, but it is right. totally worthless. It literally is four issues of Spider-Man and the quote-unquote Lethal Foes all fighting over a nuclear blaster. Um, and, oh, by the way, Doc Ock and the Answer are involved in this, too. Anyway, the story opens with Doc Ock in prison, and his tentacles are being destroyed by the authorities. But, alas, the computer chip that allows him to communicate telepathically, telepathically with his arms still exists. And then the Answer shows up. You remember the Answer, right? We talked about him. In fact, you remember the Answer? Yes. Remember when we talked about him? Yes. Anyway. Okay. Okay, The answer allegedly sacrificed himself to save Dagger of Cloak and Dagger fame because he thought Dagger was the answer to carrying the Kingpin's Kingpin's wife's mental problems. Okay. So he apparently died, but he was returned to awareness by the implosion of the multiverse matrix in Excalibur number 50. You read that one, right, Brad? I did not. (laughs) All right, well, you missed something big because of the the multiverse matrix imploded. Okay, anyway, so the answer was brought back, but only in spirit form. Now, he needs Dr. Octopurses. Dr. Octopurses. Dr. Octopurses. Not only am I falling asleep, and now I can't even talk 3D more. Your your lips fell asleep. (laughs) 
He needs Dr. Octopus's expertise in atomic power to bring back his physical form. Compliments on that sentence, by the way. That was a mouthful. (laughs) In return, he'll help Doc reconstitute his arms because, after all, he has the answer for that. Okay, so they're going to this nuclear plant. Okay, meanwhile, a female villain known as Hardshell recruits Boomerang, the Rhino, and the Vulture to steal a nuclear blaster to sell for a billion dollars to AIM. Of course, what, advanced idea mechanics, you know? Okay. Yeah, I don't remember what hard shell looked like. Was she a turtle? Uh, she was. Uh, she she actually she had a red hard shell. <laughs> I'm googling this. I I don't remember what the hard shell looked like. I'm, so what the hell? anyway, she she wants to steal this thing to sell for a billion dollars. She wants Here to take go. revenge on all her enemies as well as the enemies of her late husband, who was the original ringer. Okay. Anyway, after they steal the nuclear blaster, the vulture accidentally discharges it in Central Park, where a homeless guy gets in the way. Well, guess what? The homeless guy happens to be Vincent Stegron. So guess what? Oh, Stegron. Oh, my God. So guess what? This blast turns him back into the dinosaur man. Yeah. Because he's a dinosaur man. What's not awesome about that? That kicks ass. (laughs) (laughs) George... Welcome to the show, George. <laughs> you are an ascot! An ascot! <laughs> George, I think that dialogue is a bit jackassy. Oh, anyway, man. before this story is over, okay, Ultra <laughs> steals the blaster because he thinks it can cure his cancer. The beetle gets involved because Boomerang wants revenge on the beetle. It turns out that the original ringer is not really dead, but now he's, call- he's someone called Strikeback. And tries to convince Hardshell of the error of her ways. God. And also, Swarm shows up. And Kevin, Kevin, what is Swarm? It's a reanimated Nazi skeleton covered in bees. (laughs) You've got wait a minute, wait a minute. You've got Stegron. You've got Swarm. And the answer, Hardshell. Hardshell, Softshell. Turtles in a half shell. <laughs> no. And this nuclear blaster everybody's been after, yeah, you know, grabs it and accidentally fully discharges it. So now it's useless to everybody. Who thinks they can cure cancer with a nuclear bomb? I don't. <laughs> well, clearly I mean, you've never tried it before. I mean, what the hell? I mean, he ought to go down to Brownsville and get that ultimate nullifier to. For, <laughs> Bootleg. I mean, seriously. Bootleg was nullifier, Brad. Bootleg nullifier. He got it yeah. off of Kazar. Uh, <laughs> Craigslist. Ultimate nullifier. <laughs> Man seeking <Mom>. nullifier. Missed it. Crack cocaine wrote this piece of shit again. <laughs> Written by Crack Cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, you're the guy with. You're the guy who always does the uh, the uh, intros and the credits. So who wrote it again? Oh, we got Denny Finger off. Oh, he, he, yeah, he, he. Wow. Oh, he did drugs. <laughs> <laughs> He's the only guy who didn't do drugs was Steve Gerber. <laughs> Remember? Yeah. Oh God, that's too funny. I, oh. So Doc gets his arms back. The answer gets his body back. Spider Man beats up all the villains. The end. <laughs> 
And how did and you have how did been and not only did it, like the regular story you know you spent not a dollar and a quarter on this you spent a dollar seventy five for each of these four gems. How did the thing end, Jr.? I, we're not going to hit this month for a long time. How did the story end? I just you remember. What? Oh, I, here, here, I, I tossed it aside in disgust, you know, and now you're making me go back and look for it. Um, it's okay. I, mean, I told you, the rhino accidentally discharged a nuclear blaster in Central Park, so now, okay. wherever he was, so now it's completely worthless to everybody. So, you know, nobody can use it. Oh, God damn it, where did I put that? It must be under secret. No, it's not under secret defenders. I can't find the thing, right? But no, it's all right. You filed it under C for crap. Spikeback is able to 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 convince Hardshell to try to change the air of her ways, and then they both disappear. Okay. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I found it. Part four. Don't miss the battle packer. No, battle packed final <laughs> issue of the Leaf Proposal Spider Man. Okay. The right. Battle Packer. That's not even a word, is it? <laughs> okay, okay, here. Oh, okay. Okay, Strike Back. Uh, okay. Zaps Stegron. Okay, and Stegron collapses. Then Strike Back talks to Hard Shell. And let's see here. And then they both, uh, oh, Layla, your love for me, for our past is genuinely touching, but that is the past and our future. We must change. I don't think I can. Um you changed to become the hard woman you are today. Perhaps you can change again. <laughs> In any event, we need time to see what will happen. And then they both disappear. Spider-Man goes, no, come back. You can't. Uh, they did. Wow. Okay, let's see here. And all the villains are lying prostrate at Spider-Man's feet as he goes, um... After today's battles, I feel like I'm going to collapse any second, but I still feel luckier than Hard Shell and Strike Back. They've got a love of some kind, but it's been twisted by anger and rage. And they'll always be hunted by the law, by other criminals. Whatever, whatever problems I have, they're overshadowed by the good things I've got. Mary Jane, Aunt May, a passel of friends. What the hell? A passel? What's a passel? No, a passel. P A S S E L. A passel. A passel. Yeah, and it's not like Metri or anything. You know, I mean, it's a passel. I mean, so, and a clobbered bunch of supervillains at my feet. It could be a lot worse. The end of Lethal Foes of Spider-Man. I'm Googling Passel. I've never... Um, I thought I could swear that I've heard really good oh. things about an old miniseries that had Foes of Spider-Man in the title. Was it a different one? Deadly, probably. Deadly foes, and there was Lethal foes okay. in there. It was the predecessor to Lethal, because apparently yeah. in Deadly, Beetle betrayed Boomerang, so now here in Lethal, Boomerang wants revenge. The definition of passel is a noun, and it's a large number or amount or extent. There we go. So I guess that means right. Boomerang has been in every book titled something foes of Spider-Man then. There's your, your through line. Oh, there you go. Jerry, we have two more. I don't. They're really minute. I don't know if you you have these. Secret Defenders Seven came out this one. I do have Secret Defenders. Oh, good God! That was a horrible book written by uh, what's his name, Tom Brevoort. No, no, I don't think this was written by Tom. Oh, Roy, Roy Thomas wrote this. This was written by Roy Thomas. <laughs> I legend, the legend Roy Thomas. Brevoort wrote this book. I thought. No, huh? oh, where am I getting that? All right, Roy Thomas, the Queen, my Lord is dead, starring. 
Doctor Strange, Captain America, Scarlet Witch, and Spider-Man. Oh. And it goes up against the villain Xanadu, which <laughs> I wonder if that's the Olivia Newton-John. Xanadu. Xandu. All right. It's related to Zanja from Battle Beyond the Stalker Beyond the Stars, but oh, there you yeah. go. Secret Defenders was a horrible, horrible book. Well, I really can't tell you much about it because it's secret. But uh, <laughs> and I, be- I believe horrible. that the premise of the title was that whenever Doctor Strange thought that some crisis uh, yep. that was beyond the help that just he could provide, uh, that he would recruit whatever group of heroes he thought would sell the most copies that month. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. That's the premise. Anyway, this time the villainous Zandu has escaped from the asylum. And he, with the wand of Watum, yeah. aims to merge the realm of the dead with the earth in order that both he and the woman he loves, who is the queen of the dead, can coexist in the same sphere of existence. Wow. All right. Uh, I won't spend much time with it. The story is as meaningless as it sounds. And it is three friggin' parts. Mm. It is wildly overwritten by Roy Thomas. In fact, I... Oh, God, I've been doing this. It's hard to... Okay, here we go. Um, this is just a brief part of it. When Zandu uh, gets comes in mental contact with the wand, uh, the wand of Watum. Okay. All right. He is not the most powerful of magicians, yet he has come within an ace of destroying Doctor Strange. He has one stellar attribute and one only, a special affinity for the mystic talisman known as the Wand of Watum. For weeks he has been calling to it, a mental note stuffed inside his psychic bottle and tossed into a turbulent sea of the infinite. So, so this is twice this month that Spider-Man is cosmic. Uh, yes, yes. Wow. Literally, that's I mean, horrible. really, this nothing, nothing happens here. I mean, the, the, they they all fight, fight Zandu. Captain America is involved because Captain America, as as Scarlet Witch and Spider-Man and Doctor Strange all go into the death dimension, Captain America stays on Earth. You know, so and then like the the Wanda Watum then brings up all kinds of dead people from their graves, and so Captain America is fighting zombies. You know, there yeah. in in this part, and really this is almost a retelling of an old Marvel fanfare issue because Doc Strange, Scarlet Witch, and Spider Man all fought Zandu there. Okay, mm. what is what is the thing about Zan, you know Zandu um, that is this is this is really continuity porn uh, because. Xandu was the villain that Spider-Man and Doctor Strange faced the very first time the two ever met, which I think was in annual number oh, two or something back in the early 60s. That's right. Ditko. John yeah. by Ditko, who co-created both characters. Right. So, uh, so anyway, so any time Xandu shows up, it's always against Doctor Strange and Spider-Man. That's the only time I think this guy shows up. Um, and it's basically the same damn story all the time. <laughs> so, oh, how did this? Yeah. How did this one end? Because uh, you know, like I said, Andrew's been in love with this girl who's the queen of the dead, and I think, oh, I don't know. They save the they save the world. They keep everything from merging. Uh, oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, let's see. And in a domain separated from our reality, quite literally, by the merest heartbeat, silence lies heavy 
No, silence lies like a heavy shroud upon a realm with a population of one. Oh, yes, I'd say the Queen of the Dead now has absorbed all the other dead things, and so she's the only resident in the realm of the dead. Okay. For though Melinda Morrison is at last Queen of the Death Dimension, in fact, not merely by name, she knows that this day she has lost the only man she will ever love, which is Zandu, and that she will never, ever find him again among either the quick or the dead. The Hor- horrible, Jr. Just horrible. Yeah, this now, this has got to be one of the worst months of Spider history I've ever heard in a long time. Don, you now you bought these, Don, right? You bought some of these. What do you think? Well, this I didn't because I could only find Spec, ASM, and Lethal Foes. And um, at first I was like, "Damn it, I can't find these other issues." But now I'm like, <laughs> "I couldn't find these issues." Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is, no! Yeah, this, this is probably the most pointless. I mean, it's it's again, it's not so much, you know. I mean, we all like to make fun of stories. We all like to, you know, yeah. you know. It, since there's only one real writer among us, you know, you know, whose initials are KC, uh, we all like to pretend <laughs> that we know what goes into a good story. Blah 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 blah. You know, and so we have a lot of fun. You know, and and maybe we kind of get a little hyper about some things, whether you know about stories, but. These are worthless. I mean, it's like these aren't even on these aren't even stories that were an honest attempt was made to tell a worthwhile story and it just didn't go right. I mean, I don't even know if the effort was put in. I mean, it was basically something holy cow, let's throw a bunch of ink on a piece of paper, let's write a few words and let's sell it, you know, and all the Marvel zombies will buy it. These these are some of the most soulless stories. Yeah. yeah, I mean, J.M.D. Mateus tried, but like he does, he over-tries. You know, he did, he did in the three parts what Paul Jenkins could do in one part. Paul Jenkins could have taken the same concept, he could have told it in one part, and it might actually have meant something. In fact, he actually kind of did that with the Sandman once, where he had the, he contrasted the Sandman yes. as, uh, as, you know, he showed the Sandman as probably what he really would be a very, a, a petty, marginally el- educated, marginally intelligent punk, you know, and he had this inv- impression that Spider-Man in his civilian life had to have been like the high school quarterback, blah, 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 who thought he was better than everybody. Jenkins actually kind of told that story that it took Demetrius three issues to tell, and and then he got, which is one reason I never liked the, the um, de- what, what, what the hell was it, uh, The Child Within? You know, because oh, that yeah. was just an overridden, overwrought story. So, sounds like the only good issue was Spec this month with Tombstone. I don't know. That was marginally okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, yes, Whew. Good job, Jr. As usual, that was a lot of issues to cover. A lot of bad issues to cover too. Uh, Bertoni, it's time for Bertoni bios now. Who are we tackling this month, sir? <laughs> Who do we think? <laughs> Well, we've talked about her a lot yeah. already. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we've talked about her a lot, so I hope we haven't. Um, I was going to think of an analogy there, but they all sound too sexual, and it's 2.08 in the morning, so I don't want to become too crass. Uh, Liz Allen, uh, which, okay, yeah. but spell her name. A-L-L-A-N? Very good, very good. Yeah, and, first, uh, first issue, amazing one, right? Well, let me, amazing let, 15. Say what? Sorry. Amazing, amazing Fantasy Fifteen. Didn't that her first appearance? She's not named, but there's a blonde girl, which yeah. is basically like the prototype of Liz Allen. Like she's not yeah. named, and this is the interesting thing about like uh, Liz and Betty in those early days is in both of their first full appearances, Betty only gets a last name and Liz only gets a first name, and then their second appearances, they each get like 
the first name and the last name. And they name both share name. the same name. They're both named Elizabeth. They're both named Elizabeth. Uh, Brad, Brad, real quickly, how would you describe Liz in high school? I'm seeing if you can get this one right, too. <clears throat> Uh, she pitied, she, she was dating the football jock, mm-hmm. and she had a little bit of a crush on the geek, who wasn't the cool kid to hang out with, so she was kind of torn. All right, very good, you didn't say cheerleader. Everyone says cheerleader. Oh. She was never a cheerleader in high school, except no. for, like, you know, yeah. retcons. Yeah, everyone describes her as, like, the high school cheerleader in the, in the books, because that's, like, I guess the type, but, uh... Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I don't remember being a cheerleader, but but no, very good. I, I was going to see if you if you would fall into that chair. Oh yeah, she was the high school cheerleader. Um, <laughs> but basically, she was she was a member of the midtown midtown high crowd, and she would right. you know she was nameless in those early appearances. She'd be with people saying, "Oh come on, guys, you know Peter's looking at test tubes. Let's go see Spider Man perform, you know, at this arena." And uh, she goes out. She agreed to go out and date with Peter in her first full appearance, which was a Sandman issue, issue four. But Peter uh, had to go look for Sandman, so he turns her down. So she goes out with Flash. And, see, there's a parallel universe somewhere uh, where I decide to pick on Liz instead of Betty because there is just as many reasons to pick on Liz as there is Betty. Um, of course, if, if you give anyone that much attention, you can come up with a whole, like, bit about them. But Liz and the Dicko issues was not that good of a person after a certain point. After she found out that Peter risked his life in a Spider-Man costume to save Betty Brandt, she started following all over Peter. Only problem was, the books were very inconsistent on if she was still dating Flash or not. So while she and Flash are still dating, she is openly making passes at Flash's rival Peter in front of Flash, in front of Flash's friends, is unapologetic about it, and then repeatedly insults Flash's intelligence in front of his friends and, his, and like the whole high school. It's really weird. And then, you know, Liz is never really that polite to Betty Brandt, although who can say that we blame her? Supposedly it's established that she comes from money, because Betty Brandt has a line that blonde boy stealer wants everyone to know how rich she is. Like, um, Liz, who says that Spider-Man's her friend, you know, but Spider-Man crashed, you know, the after the Wolverine of her husband that traumatized her. She helps Flash start a Spider-Man fan club and supplies her father's nightclub. At one, at one point, the rest of Liz's rich family disappears, and Liz seems poor. But the status quo basically continues. Liz wants Peter. Flash wants Liz. Betty hates Liz. Peter kind of lets Liz, you know, fall all over him because I think he likes the attention. Um, eventually, at graduation, Liz makes the, you know, like the shocking announcement to Peter, like the revelation: "It's true, Peter. I had a crush on you." And, and Peter has a look on his face, like, "Oh, oh." It, I'm, I'm surprised. I was supposed to be surprised. <laughs> and then, and then says that she's done being a dom blonde, and you'll never see her again. But you do see her again two issues later, and then really you never see her again for at least a hundred issues. She's on her way to work, and she's like trying to avoid Flash Thompson, who's still chasing after. So you get another Peter Flash Liz love triangle bits, and that's it. Liz drops out of the book for uh, over almost about a hundred issues. Ten years, at least. wow. Yeah. The ne- Man. Which, well, that was one thing, I, you know, about those early books is that supporting characters would come and go, and she didn't follow them to college, and um, the next time you see her, Gwen's already dead, so there's never actually been, um, like, a Liz and Gwen story, you know, in, hmm. in 616 continuity. There's that splash page with, like, all of Spider-Man's supporting cast, and Liz and Gwen are there, but those two characters never actually coexisted. 
I never really thought about that. That's true, though. Yeah. When you yeah. run into her, it's a Conway Molten Man story, and Peter runs into her on the street. Uh, we're talking like 130-ish? Is that where we are? Yeah, on? I don't have the issue yeah. number in front of me. Actually, let me look at this Liz appearance, Liz, that I have right by I here. I bet you it's like 133, I bet. 132. Uh, but 133 is the second part. And you find oh, out you that she became a nurse, which um, I, I, the requirements to do back then maybe weren't as heavy. When my stepmom became a nurse, she had to go through a ton of school. And if Liz didn't go to college, but anyway, it's the Marvel Universe. You know, when Galactus attacks on a daily basis, you probably need more nurses, so the training is less. You never know. <laughs> and she's, she's, We find awesome. out that the Molten Man's her stepbrother. That's... um. The multi-man who's appeared before, it, the relationship was not established, so this was, you know, a, a retcon of sorts. Um, but it wasn't a retcon that violated any existing continuity. And she's been taking care of him, and he's, you know, out, and he's doing stuff again. And he comes after her, and it looks like he died. And it looks like he dies at the end of that story, but of course he does, and he comes back. And Peter reintrodu- you know, reintroduces her to the supporting cast, and I think Conway forgot that it was Betty that Liz was always fighting with, because Peter takes her to Mary Jane, and like, she's like, oh, I know that you and Mary Jane never got along, you know, in that one panel that you met in, in issue 25. And even Mary Jane says to Peter, what do you think I'm going to do, throw her out right after you go? Um, I think, Like I said, Conway was a fan, you know, who grew up to become a writer, but I think his memory was a little hazy. And from then on, Liz is just basically with the supporting cast a lot, and she's actually hanging out with Flash a lot, too, which is interesting because they were high school sweethearts, kind of, and now they're hanging out together a lot. Which brings us to one night, um, I wrote a blog entry about this on the Crawl Space a while ago, where uh, Liz runs into Flash, Flash says something flirty to her, Liz ignores him, sees Flash's roommate, Harry, and thanks him for saving her at Betty Brant's wedding, which Liz was invited to for some reason. Uh, we don't know. And they walk off together. And it begins a very, very fast romance where I, I always feel like that must have been awkward for Flash. His high school sweetheart is dating his roommate right before his eyes. And they quickly get engaged. And then they kick Flash out of the apartment. They say, hey, you're going to need a new roommate because I'm getting married. <laughs> how's how, how's that post traumatic stress working out for you? <laughs> what, what's the relationship between Liz and Betty? Uh, is there one? Uh, is there, they hated each other in the Dicko days, and the next time they interact, or like not even interact, the next time like you see them together is the wedding, which Liz was invited right. to for no reason. <laughs> is it? Do they hate each other because they both want Peter? Is that what the deal is? That was the deal at the time. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. they've later coexisted peacefully because the Spider-Man supporting right. cast is like the Simpsons supporting cast. Everyone always shows up to every single event that happens, regardless of their relationship with the characters. <laughs> you know, like I'll never That's forget true. like the slot issue true. where Betty Brandt says, why weren't you at Marla Jameson's funeral, Flash? Everyone was asking for you. <laughs> Uh, Flash Thompson's presence is very much required at the funeral of Jonas. I guess, I guess so. So, uh, uh, JR covers this in his Goblin Prince series, but yeah, uh, Liz and Harry have a very, very fast romance and become engaged very quickly. Molten Man shows up again. There's a storyline, Molten Man stopped. He tries to, you know, kidnap Slash, you know, at one point he tries to kill Liz. He's like, I'm dying, but you can die with me, Liz. You're my sister. You must die by my side. And this traumatizes her enough to disappear and call off her wedding to Harry. And Harry has part of a psychotic relapse. And 
But at the end of the storyline, you know, Liz comes back after the whole Bart Hamilton affair, which is covered in more detail elsewhere, is taken care of. And then pretty much she's just a background character for the remainder of the Bronze Age. Like, she shows up with the supporting cast to say, Peter, you missed our surprise party that we threw for you that you had no knowledge of. We're mad at you. And then there was that period in the early 80s where the Spider-Man supporting cast disappeared and were replaced with new characters. And you actually find out, and I think Bill Mantlo wrote an issue of Spectacular, that Liz and Harry had eloped and moved to New Jersey. And Peter and Flash were not invited to the wedding, and <laughs> uh, they, they, they basically found out through postcards. When you say that the, uh, the, the old cast was shoved away, what, what new cast came in? Uh, Steve Hopkins, Philip Chang, Professor Sloan, or Dr. Sloan, whatever they called him, and his secretary, Deborah Whitman, and... Uh, oh, okay, we're talking uh, early 80s, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, the grad, Marcy Kane, yep. okay, and then in, like, the, and then you had the Daily Globe cast, which didn't really last as long, but there was, like, yeah. April May, Barney Bushkin, the mysterious wow. K.J. Clayton, who turned out to be, like, two different women, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember any of these names. What a I really cast. don't. Right. Man. And then there's going to be like, you know, a crawl space like 2030. It's like, well, when the when the supporting cast was changed. Who was the supporting cast then? Oh, people like Max Modell, Grady Strass, <laughs> Bella Fishbaum, Awatu Jackson. I don't remember any of those people. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, that that's... A, a brief, like, 10-second tangent, but that's like one fear that I have with Liz taking over. Over Horizon, it's like it's the return of the Lee Dicko Romita characters, replacing you know the new ones that we've created and built up. Slots creations, yeah. Yeah, but but I I digress. Um, we're in the '80s at this point, you know, and it's it's another Molten Man story. You know, he's he's not dead again. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, he's he's not dead again. He attacks the Osborns, but you know they're in Jersey. They built a life for themselves. Uh, I forget how he gets stopped this time. It it was really just you, you know a regular story. It's the Peter, uh, Liz, and Harry have built house somewhere in New Jersey, and they're escaping from it all. But then around the stern hobgoblin stuff, you start to see them more. Liz invites the supporting cast, including Betty Brandt, who, like I said, she hates, um, to a luncheon to reveal that she's pregnant. And because of the hobgoblin stuff, Harry gets blackmailed, and it looks like Liz and Harry kind of slowly move from Jersey back to the city again because they start appearing in more stories. Hobgoblin Roderick Kingsley version kidnaps Liz to use her against Harry, and it looks like because of um, some stuff that happened in the kidnapping, there's some complications. She might lose the baby because she's bringing a five-year-old to her t- corporate takeover. As we know that she, <laughs> she, that she didn't lose the baby. Um, so, <laughs> Normie Norman Osborne Jr. I think his name, his full name is Norman Harold Osborne, something like that. Uh, he's, he's yeah, he's born so. And Liz and Harry basically kind of, from what I recall, take a backseat in those 90s stories. You know, they're just doing supporting cast stuff until they uh, they help Peter and Mary Jane uh, after the whole Jonathan Cesar stuff where Peter and Mary Jane are homeless. Uh, they get they have a Soho loft that they're living in and with a gentleman's agreement, you know, instead of a lease, which gets them in the trouble later, uh, they become neighbors Harry becomes a heroic Green Goblin for about five minutes before Spider-Man punches him and says no. But otherwise, Liz is basically just um, there for group supporting cast shots. Harry now has in, his you're, say what? You're now into the you're now into the nineties. Yes, yes, Early I am. Nineties, yeah. yeah. No Alan Chemicals yet. 
<laughs> no, no. Oh, and Molten Man ever. does come back, but like it, it's like a really weird story. He's like, Harry Osborn, I need to talk to you. And everyone's like, oh, no, oh, no. And they're, everyone's panicking. Oh, we got to punch the Molten Man. We got to stop him. You don't understand. I need to talk to Harry Osborn. And at the end, I need to ask him for a job so I can turn my <laughs> life around. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. So Molten Man gets hired, like, he, oh. doing something for Osborn's company, which is called either Osborn Industries or Osborn Chemicals, not Oscorp, because that's what they call them in the TV show and in the movie and in Ultimates. Never called it Oscorp back then. All of a sudden, they started doing it in the 2000s when Bendis was writing polls. Hmm. Anyway, uh, I digress. Harry has his Jam D. Mateus arc where he goes crazy and eventually dies. Liz has a nervous breakdown through all of this, mm-hmm. is in denial about Harry going crazy. And eventually when Harry dies, she, you know, she lashes out in like that final issue at you know, Mary Jane and Spider-Man and everyone else. Harry doesn't die, of course. And I don't remember seeing her from the end of Spec to the Daredevil stuff, which you're probably gonna hit up. That was the she. Thing. Did she, she do much? She shifted she around much? a little bit because once okay. this is the period that, like, I went and I reread a lot of because I was trying to figure out the transition from Widow Liz to Corporate Liz and when yeah. exactly happened. Because um, there's the line in the issue that JR covered for Spider History, which I'm, I'm not going to hit up what happened in there. It's, you know, it, she basically, but, but there is a line that, um, that issue where, at, where she evicts Peter and Mary Jane. She says that she's moving to Montana and that she's selling off pieces of Osborne Industries and she's basically going to let the board of directors run it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next time you see her after that, let me look at this note thing because I... I look very carefully on this to figure out the transition from corporate Liz to... I'm trying to think that a uh, spec issue was like 93, I think. Okay, yeah, Legacy of Evil, we see her, um, but that's like... That was published later, but it's continuity as earlier. She basically appears as Harry's widow. Um, yeah. And in fact, in Legacy of Evil, she gets like... Um, brainwashed by, by, like, these goblin robots or something and helps them kidnap Normie. But really, I mean, she doesn't do all that much in the story. Good. Was that a miniseries? What's Legacy of Evil? I'm it, trying it to think a, what that is. It was is. a one-shot where Ben Urich is writing the history of the Green Goblins. Okay. And making okay. lots of money off of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Normally, normally, I don't interrupt, so, but I have to admit, uh, bring up one funny thing about that, is that Ben Urich is doing the history of the goblins and he's talking about Harry Osborn but the only the people he talks to everybody who knew Harry except Peter Parker and Mary Jane <laughs> yeah, a real Peter. real thorough reporter there yeah true true man so what are we in the mid 90s now Josh? Uh, we're in the clone saga cuz you see Liz yeah. at um Aunt May's funeral uh with Normie who's okay. holding a Spider-Man doll and then the Phil Urich Green Goblin miniseries, because uh, Liz comes to the Daily Bugle basically saying, um, I want to sue the Green Goblin because he stole my husband's identity. Uh. And um, that's the first time that you see Liz with her lawyer, who's Foggy Nelson. And eventually, you know, the some 90s villain who's very forgettable kidnaps Normie, 
her, uh, Phil Goblin saves him. So Liz says, you have my blessing. I won't sue you, you know, and demand that you return my husband's gear. You can be the heroic Green Goblin. You And so she disappears again. Why would she want to sue him for, like, you know, taking on a villainous role and becoming a hero? What does she have to gain from that? It's her husband's intellectual property that he's using. That he stole from his uh. father. <laughs> now, now did, this, did this does this lawsuit happen in the Green Goblin solo it, series or is this in a Spider? It wasn't exactly a lawsuit, like for se, but she was basically like, you know, I have a lawyer and I demand that, like, you know, and she made Phil, uh, not Phil York, she made Ben York like give all his notes about the Goblin stuff, when, which was when like was this happening? I mean, in the Green Goblin, uh, I, I said limited solos. series, but it was an ongoing series. Issues it's six, seven, and eight. Okay, all right, cool. I just don't remember that. But. Yeah. It's been so long since I read that. And so that leads up to her... What Next we saw her was in Daredevil, right? She's we still not corporate Liz yet, because guess who was running oh. Osborne Industries as of the Clone Ooh. Saga? Who? CEO of Osborne Industries was the Molten Man. For some really? For some reason. For, like, really? for about five minutes, yeah. There's an issue where Liz is calling him to check on the company, and you see Mark Raxton in, like, you know, his goal, he, in, in, like, a business suit, you know, in, like, some corporate office on a phone, like, well, yes, Liz, things are going great. Is he golden at this point, or is he just regular he, Mark Raxton? He's still golden, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's golden. It's like, I'm, they've had enough criminals um, <laughs> run <Gosh>. that company. <laughs> Good grief. That's so funny. <laughs> Moronic. Wow. Yes. But, uh... Then she starts, and I wasn't able to reread the Daredevil issues, um, but I read them two years ago, where basically she comes back to thank Foggy Nelson for helping her with, um, you know, that Green Goblin stuff, and she has him help her her with some other corporate stuff that she's doing, and they start to date. And I remember Foggy's mom, who was, like, uh, a partner at that law firm, Rosaline Sharp, but, like, it wasn't revealed that she was Foggy's mom right away. It was a weird era of Daredevil, but enjoyable. She was always trying to, like, plot and scheme to break them up. She would, like, send Foggy flowers from other girls so that Liz would find them. She would always try and make what? Liz think that Foggy was cheating on her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was a very hijinky era of Daredevil. Oof. And yeah. um, I have to look at those issues again, but I don't know if Liz was, like, you know, CEO of Osborne Industries at that point or if that started in Revelations. Because when you see her in Revelations, the end of the Clone Saga, she's she's heading Osborne Industries then. She's in, like, her business suit. She's on the phone with Foggy saying, I want to be more accessible to my employees than, you know, my ex-father-in-law was. Who comes back yeah. at the end of the story to slap her in the face? <laughs> So Norman comes back from the dead, slaps his daughter-in-law in the face, huh? Norman comes back from the dead, um, and then comes back from the dead as Norman in the uh, J.M.D. Mateus Luke Ross story, and basically takes Osborne Industries from her and kind of bullies her cow and, yeah. you know, makes her cow. He, he, he was able to control and manipulate her real easily. She wasn't able to put up a fight. Oddly enough, like, at one point in that issue, he looks at there's like a family picture of like Norman and Harry and Liz all together, but uh, Liz yeah. never met Norman Osborn before he died. Liz did not even meet Harry until uh, after the Clone Saga. Wow! So continuity error. This this is your daughter-in-law smack. Wow! He meets her that for the Norman first time in Revelations. Yeah, when he slapped her. That's in the face crazy. What a poor, poor, sad woman. Your your father-in-law comes back from the dead, and your husband comes back. Okay, from the I dead. want you to remember, poor, sad woman, because she's yeah. going to she's going to do some stuff that you're not going to like. 
Okay, <laughs> hit, hit me as up. All Spider-Man yeah. women do. Right. Um, well, all... make her as bad as Betty Brand. Do go. Oh, I, I, I don't have to try. Well, <laughs> I would have to try really hard, but, but she does some stuff that that put her, you know, almost up to Betty level coming up. Okay. Um, in the Kevin Smith relaunch of Daredevil. Well, first of all, uh, before I get to that, like you know, but then the re- she's basically kind of like around and, but she's not really controlling Osborne Industries. Norman is. He took that from her. After um, the reboot happened and Norman disappeared, got taken away by the Squires, it, when we see Liz again, she's in control of the company, you know, no explanation. And there was a period in early 2000 Spider-Man where you weren't sure who was controlling Osborne Industries because Liz was sometimes, Norman was sometimes. Norman, like, disappeared, and, you know, the Squires had to deprogram him from that Gathering of the Five stuff. So Liz was controlling it again, and nobody knew where Norman was. But then in Death in the Family, uh, you see Norman controlling it. When the last time you saw it, it was Liz. So that stuff is hard to track. But anyway, over in the Daredevil relaunch, um, Foggy actually does cheat on Liz. So Liz does break up with him, and it wasn't, you know, like a sitcom plot by his mom. This this time he actually did it. Which, yeah. uh, that's a shame, because I liked, you know, that little era. But the fifth Green Goblin, who turns out to be the melting clone of no one, he attacks Liz, because uh, he thinks that she has the key to, like, stopping his clone degeneration, which they don't call it that, because the clone saga is a big no-no. She runs into Peter, and Peter reaches out to her, because he thinks that Mary Jane is dead at the time. Now, when Harry died, Peter and Mary Jane tried to support Liz emotionally as best as they could. Granted, Pete screwed it up by, you know, saying, hey, your husband's alive, you know, and (laughs) driving her a little insane. But otherwise, they were emotionally supportive of the widow. So, Peter, it's not, you know, out of bounds for Peter to expect Liz to do the same. Liz basically says, Peter, get away from me. Every woman that you love dies, and I have my son to think about. Stay away from me. (laughs) Go be sad about Mary Jane somewhere else. Yeah. Um and, and Flash and Flash is right there with her, chuckling beside. Like it's almost like the Dicko days again. He's Flash is laughing about these women who, you know, he was friends with and loved and, you know, all dying around Peter. This was a really bad Mackie issue. Yeah. We're we're now into the two thousands, aren't we? Or close yeah, to Yeah, we're in the two thousands. And the next time yeah. you see Liz, um <laughs> granted she's written a lot better by Paul Jenkins, thankfully. Uh, Flash has gone into his car accident because Norman, like, guzzled beer down his throat with a funnel and stuck him in a car, and Liz is at the hospital, and she's calling Peter desperately. Never mind the whole, Peter, stay away from me, you're cursed, everyone that you love dies. Now this is good Uh, writing. Yeah, yeah, now this is good writing, you know, so that's forgotten (laughs) about and never mentioned again. And throughout the Paul Jenkins run, you see Liz and Peter, like, kind of teaming up to help Flash recuperate. They get him a nurse together. Um, there's a scene, I put them on the Betty and Flash articles, where Liz is talking to Aunt May about all the hours that, like, she's put in to help Flash, and she mentions, I got a company to run, even though you saw Norman running the company uh, a few issues prior. So, <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on uh, there. I mean, I guess it's possible yeah. that the two of them are running the company together, but it makes no sense. Yeah. That's awkward. Um, the next time, and then you see her on the Mark Miller run. You know, she's at the high school reunion. She doesn't really do anything. She's kind of relegated to supporting character. Then when Peter unmasks, <laughs> yep, uh, Liz sells him out big time. Um, you know, like the two big things that I said. Yeah, remember, remember when you say poor woman, Liz telling you know widower Peter, you know your curse get away from me, and then Liz um, is mad at Peter. 
for basically, like, the, the reasons that she gives in the issue, oddly enough, she looks at some pictures of Harry, but she never mentions Harry when Peter comes over. She basically, she's mad that, you know, you didn't tell me your secret in high school and I could have helped you. Yeah. She does say at one point all the death you brought into our lives. Um, Molten Man is um, extorted by the chameleon to say, you need to help us trap Peter, and uh, they kidnap Normie to do it. Liz goes along with it to lure Peter over there, but it's not very reluctantly. And she basically verbally slaps Peter as he like comes into the house, you know, for everything that he's done, and then... I'm trying to think where these issues are. Is this Sensational Spider-Man? Sensational Spider-Man, which yeah. was a renamed Marvel. To this was Roberta Aguirre's right. Costa. Right, right, right. And... I, well, when Peter finds out what she's done, and after he's already saved the day, he basically tells her, you might want to get out of here before the police arrive, Liz. They might mistake you for a villain. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> She, she had a gun. She did, but man, she had a hard life. I mean, that's probably where that, it ends. That, that's what I, like, what I like about Liz, though, is that like she's a character who legitimately has beef with Spider-Man that I can understand. The, the next, the next time we see her is that Slots story. See, with the, uh, that's the thing. Like, people were unsure what happened to Liz because in the early days of Brand New Day, where they didn't explain how Harry was back or what was going on, people were wondering if Liz was like if his marriage with Liz and Normie were out of continuity. Because like he shows up, you know, single, and there's no mention of Liz. And Tom Brevoort actually had to come out and say on a website somewhere that Normie and Liz, you know, still exist. And you see them in Brand New Day, and it's basically told to us via exposition that when Harry came back, Liz said that she had moved on, but that she... Oh, go ahead. And he he got married several other times. Harry did. Yeah, somehow. That's (laughs) weird. The continuity of that is all off. Because if you compare the, like, How Harry Returns story that they told in um, Spider-Man Family and in that flashback thing to the first issues of Brand New Day, the, the reasoning is all over the place. Like, Peter says, oh, I lost track of you while you were in Europe. It's like, but Peter supposedly didn't know he was in Europe. and uh, But Liz got in trouble. Oh, go ahead. You know, to wrap this one up a little bit, I mean, she's a character that's been with him off and on for 50 years. I mean, she's a major supporting character. She really doesn't appear that much, though. She's a Forrest Gump, and yeah, she disappears a lot. And there's times where she's relegated to, like, you know, a background character. But she's... She's done a lot. She she was broke because um, the life insurance money, I guess, she got from Harry returning. Um, like She had to give it... They wanted it back. And she had to use all of her money to help her brother, whose molten man condition was, like, degenerating again. So Harry shows up. She yells at him about money, and Don calls that, like, baby mama Liz, you know, yelling at Harry about child supports. Yeah. Uh, Normie hates Spider-Man again because I forgot to mention there's a story where Normie gets over that. You know, what, there, there's like so many stories in the late '90s, early thousands where Normie gets kidnapped and has to be saved. It wasn't yeah. worth it to mention all of them. There's a lot, of and them. Liz and Harry basically reconcile—not romantically, but like they make their peace with each other. And she gives him her old uh, engagement ring so that he can give it to Lily Hollister. And Harry get, takes care of the money that Liz had to give back to the creditors and. Nor, um, he cures Molten Man and Liz had like a one shot appearance in Fear itself one of the miniseries like she had her own feature story where like she's on a train and I forget what happens but she was on a train and she had to fight some villain and there was some 
reference to her being a nurse, which I thought was impressive. And you see her in, like, the Greg Wiseman story with Flash. But mm-hmm. um, between then and now, somehow between the Paul Jenkins stuff and uh, back in Black, she lost control of Osborne Industries, and she definitely didn't have it in Brand New Day. And there's there's an Allen Chemical now. We don't know where it came from, but there it is. Yeah. I said it in the chat window, and I, I, I'll say it publicly. The amount of research that you and JR go into these things is much appreciated. So thank you for all the stuff you two do for that segment. My, my heavens, you went through 50 years of Liz Allen history. Who can do that? <laughs> some of it. Down, some of down it, to the Abbey oh, suck it. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, some of it I knew off the top of my head. Some of it I had to go back and look at because I was That's legitimately just... not sure like what the corporate history of Liz was. And I, like I when that officially started. A big Spider-Man fan, I didn't know a lot of the, the minute details. I mean, when you're reading a Spider-Man story, you you latch onto the Peter Parker aspects, the Mary Jane aspects. You focused on a, a C-list back supporting cast character. <laughs> I mean, that's just amazing. There, there's interesting and, stuff going on with those supporting yeah. characters. Like, I, 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 I read that I stuff and I wonder, you know, like, find. what's going on with Flash when he sees his roommate dating his high school sweethearts? You know, yeah, like, how, how does Flash feel about this? Just well appreciated amount of research. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.